This week's going to have a lot of firsts in it around our community. It's going to be first day of school. Some of it was last week for other parts around our community. First day of school. Be first, uh, first day for some new teacher. I know that's going to happen tomorrow in my family. So uh, first day for some new teacher teaching. First, um, first are scary sometimes for people, aren't they? You, you look at a video like this and you think, well, you know, that's what you want to do at, at church. You want church to be a place where you can discover God and, and who he is and how he loves you. And we like to say at First Baptist that we want this place to be a place where you discover you're fully known and fully loved by God. But I guarantee that doesn't happen the first time you set your foot in the door. And you certainly don't want to bring all your stuff the first time. Most people are going, no, no way. I'm, I'm letting anybody know about those type of things. But first also... Uh, are, are something that we all have to think about. They're all a little scary at times, but, you know, the question for us many, many times in life is where do I start? Where, where do I start with this? You know, you're going to have kids starting school this week, and they're going to have a new grade, and they're going to go, I don't know where I even start in this place. You're going to have new jobs starting up, new relationships starting up for people. You know, think about it this way. Even in church, you realize that every week, in our church and in churches all over the place, it's somebody's first time. Somebody's first time to show up in this place. And think about, honestly, how intimidating that is at times. You show up to a place where a lot of people seem to kind of know what's going on, and I might not know what's going on, and they all seem to, you know, sing these weird songs that nobody else knows outside the church. And, wow, how did they know these songs? And where, do I, am I, where did I leave out on and everything? And, and we all ask this question at times, where, where do I start? And as it comes to our faith, Especially if you're curious about who Jesus is or, or what is this thing about Christianity or why do y'all meet together at church. Honestly, I'm glad you're here today because we're going to talk about where all this came from and, and where we start with this stuff. But at the same time, those of us who may have grown up this way or those of us who may have been walking in a relationship with Christ for quite some time, it could be decades, it could be whatever, we need to be reminded all the time that it's someone's first day, and we need to help them, meet them where they are. Where does that come from? Well, here's where we are. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15. A couple of weeks ago, we started in Acts chapter 15, and to catch you up, if you haven't been here, maybe today's your first time, it starts with, there's a problem in the church, um, and it's a good problem. You know, you, you, there are good problems and bad problems, right? But it's a good problem because they're saying, we have all these people who are coming to Christ. They want to give their life to God. But those of us in the church at this time in the book of Acts were saying we grew, up, we grew up Jewish. And so we have laws and we have traditions. We have a way of doing things. And now we have these people who aren't Jewish. They don't follow our laws. They don't follow our customs. They don't know our way of doing things. And they're coming to God too. And there was this dispute, this debate that started in the church that said, well, these people who are coming to God, if they really want to be Christians, then they have to start doing everything that the people in the church do. That's kind of what's happening at the core of this. They were saying they have to follow all the Jewish laws, all the Jewish regulations and this. And so that really was debated in the church. And it, it came to the point that in Antioch they really couldn't decide how to settle this. And so they said, well, we're going to send some people off to the authorities in Jerusalem and let them begin to talk about this and perhaps settle this debate for us. And the first thing we talked about a few weeks ago was, you know, God establishes some authorities in our life. We may not understand them, we may not even appreciate them at times, but God gives us authorities that help us 
walk through some things in life at times that we may not necessarily know how to walk through. And, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago how, you know, we may not agree with their decisions, we may not like their decisions, but the starting point for everybody is we have to learn how to follow well before we can ever expect to mature and grow and perhaps even lead well. And then last week we looked a little bit about this decision, how these men from the church came and presented this to the church leaders. And they came together and they began discussing this. And where they landed on this was, look, it's obvious that the way that people come to know Christ is by grace alone. It's the grace of God poured out on them. And it didn't matter that they were a Jew or a Gentile. It didn't matter what they had done before that time, that God in his love had poured out his love on them just through grace, grace alone. And so the church, had, the leaders in the church had begun debating this, and they came to the point to say, look, we, we don't need to put all these, these laws and regulations on them. We just need to accept the fact that people are coming to know Christ in a way that's different than, than we used to, and we need to figure out what to do with it. And we kind of stopped halfway in this story, actually about halfway through the statement of a man named James about this debate. And what James had said, he was kind of summing everything up. And he said, you know, it's good what all these other people had said. And James was an elder and a leader in the church at the time. And he said, look, we need to understand that people are coming to know God. They're wanting to follow him. And then this is the statement. We pick it up today starting in verse 19. And I just want you to see this. Let this one sink in. He says in verse 19 of Acts chapter 15, James says, Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them <coughs> to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he's read aloud in the synagogues. Now, you may be going, that's clear as mud, Pastor, of what's going on here. But let me just... Again, focus in on verse 19 for a minute. James starts the whole thing. He says, look, therefore, all this stuff that we're debating, let's just simplify this and say this. These people who are coming to God, we should not make it hard for them to come to God. That's what James says. So, James, let's not make this difficult. People are trying to come to Jesus. That's hard enough already. Let's not make it more difficult by adding all these rules, regulations, and laws and ways of doing things on them. James is easily saying, don't complicate things. For these people who are trying to turn their life around, they've come to the place where they've intersected with God. God's doing something in their life. They've been forgiven of sins, and they're, they're trying to figure out, now, how do I walk with God? And James looks at the whole church and says, let's not complicate this for people. Let's meet them where they are whenever we can. Now, that is huge because the truth is is that as we begin to walk with Christ, the longer that you begin to do things and you begin to follow God, let's just have an honest moment. I'll be honest with you and say we tend to lose memories of what it was like to not know Jesus Christ. And so the people who begin to come to Christ, who haven't known Jesus Christ, start hanging around the other people who have been around church and been around Jesus and have a relationship with God and sometimes the way it's interpreted is they're looking at church people like we're weird and the reason is is because we're weird you know it took me a while to figure that out I used to look at this world and go man the world's weird and then I realized nope that's just the lens I'm looking through 
I'm the one that's odd. The world's doing the things that the world always does, but I've chosen to do something different, and I'm chosen to walk God's way, and so therefore the truth is I'm weird. And so well, you need to understand that when people start coming to Christ and they look at those of us who've been walking with Christ for a while, not that we have it all figured out because we don't, but that we're trying to do things, and they look at how we interact with things. They look at us and go, that's different than anything that I've ever seen. It's, it's odd. It's weird. And what James is saying is then we don't need to make it hard on these people who are trying to come to Christ. You see, a lot of times people think, un, it's, we don't really say it, but people kind of pick up that, well, what it means for me to be a Christian is I need to start doing what everybody in that church is doing. And can I just tell you something? That's not all the way true. God has some things, and we're going to look at them here in just a little bit, that I believe are true for all believers in Christ. And then there are some other things that are just different for different people because God has a different calling on different people's lives or maybe people have a different giftedness or a different wiring, and sometimes we need to figure out what it's like to sort that out. I'm not going to get into this a lot, but I think it's, it's um, well, I'm going to come to that later. Sorry, haha, <laughs> you'll get it in a minute. All right, so what do we do then when we see these people who are, are coming to Christ and, and we really truly want to help them? Sometimes what happens in the church is, is churches start making maybe these, these laws up. We don't necessarily call them laws, but we start telling people, well, maybe if you behave this certain way or you do this certain thing or you act this certain way. And that's what they were really debating here in Acts chapter 15. Well, if they're going to follow Christ, honestly what they were saying is, if they're going to follow Christ, the only way that we know how to follow Christ is a Jewish way. So how about all these people who are coming to Christ, they just need to be Jewish like we're Jewish. In essence... That's basically saying, you know what, you need to start following Christ the exact same way that I follow Christ, which not necessarily, doesn't always work that way. I put a quote, uh, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time right there uh, in your outline. It says this, legalism is when one person imposes his or her standards on another person. Imposing those standards on yourself is not legalism, it's self-management. Now, why do I say that? Well, because sometimes we have this thought that if God's doing something in my life and he's called me to do something, and he's put something on me, and it should act a certain way, then everybody else should do the exact same thing that I'm doing as well. But that's not all the way true. Let me give you an example. When I started off in ministry, I started off as a youth minister. And in youth ministry, and being young and being dumb, because that was my requirements for being, I, I was, that's what it was, I'm starting to learn how to speak. And I'm starting, you know, it's fun. You start taking God's word and you start saying, well, how do I relate this to people in a way that makes sense? So if you haven't noticed, we as pastors, we like to try to tell stories or we like to try to draw things in. So it seems like at some times almost everything could turn into an illustration. I have to warn my family all the time. You're in the sermon today just so I'd let you know. So sometimes they like that, sometimes they don't. If you're ever in a sermon, I don't ever tell you. I say it's about someone else. So I just thought I'd let you know. Just kidding. So... What would happen is I would find myself speaking, and my wife and I, now my wife really loves to go to the movies. It's something that she very much enjoys. I like the movies as well, but for Julie, it's one of her things. She lo- I know that if, if we want to have a date night and I say, let's go to the movies, it honestly it almost doesn't matter what's on. She just loves to go to the movies. So being young, we would go to the movies, and, and being young and no kids and anything, we'd go to any movie we wanted to. You know what I mean? We just kind of went to the movies. Didn't matter. You know, I'm over the age of 17. I know what that thing says. I can go see whatever movie I want. Well, what I would find myself doing as 
a youth minister is I would always take these things that I saw in the movies and I would transform them into some sort of illustration and I would use it in the message. And what these little 13-year-old boys would do is they would go home and go, Mom, can I go see whatever movie? And they'd go, oh, no, that's a horrible movie. You can't go see that movie. Well, Lyndall saw it. It's like, all right, I can play this game too. So let me just say it this way. So a long time ago, I decided for me as a follower of Christ, for what he's called me to, is there's just certain things I'm not going to expose myself to anymore. I willingly choose to put those things aside. If you're at the movies and I see you walking out of the movies, there's no judgment on my part no matter what movie you went to see. That's between you and the Lord. There's, there are some things that we know as Christians we should stay away from. Let me just say that. And there's a lot of filth and foul and all those things in the movies. So I'm not sitting here saying movies are good. But what I'm saying is I'm not going to stand up as a leader and impose rules that say as a believer, these are the, this is the rating is okay, well, this rating's not okay, and this thing is good and that thing is good. That's called legalism. That's called me imposing standards on you that aren't necessarily clear in Scripture. Not saying they're not good. It wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing for us to go, hey, let's make a commitment to not put filth into our heads. Okay, that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. But legalism is when you make that a requirement of faith and you've got to do these things. You see what I'm saying? So that's what we're talking about here is that there's some things that as a follower of Christ you might see people do. And you might say, that person doesn't do those things. They choose not to do these things. And there is a whole list of things that we could go down that people debate on, is this okay, is this not okay, is this okay, is this not okay. And they want, there's sometimes people, they want that church to make that hard stand and, and tell me, you know why they want that? Because they want to be able to blame the pastor whenever God asks them a question. Well, God, when I was down there on earth, my pastor said that was okay or that was not okay or whatever. And here's my deal. There are some certain things about following Christ that are key, and there's certain things that are just hard to figure out sometimes. And when you try to just follow somebody else's plan, you're always going to fail. And I'm going to show you that here in a little bit. So what's James talking about then here? Here's what you need to understand. When James says we should write to these people to abstain from things polluted by idols, to stay away from sexual immorality, to from, stay away from eating anything that's been strangled and from blood. Here's what you need to know. This is not a discipleship plan. It's a fellowship plan. What do you mean, Pastor? James isn't saying this is the way that everybody needs to follow Christ. You know why? Because all the Jews already did this and 600 other things to be a good Jew. But what James was saying is, if we're going to accept these people who aren't Jews, there's actually certain things that if they do, as a good Jew, I really can't be around them. Even though the 600 other things they may or may not do. So James is saying, look, we don't need to make this hard on them. We just need to cut down to some basic things so that we can have fellowship with those people who are living out their faith in a different non-Jewish way. Way. Now let that sink in for you. Because here's the danger in sharing messages like this. Some people hear these messages and go, I can go live however I want then now, right, Pastor? Well, the truth is you can do that anyway, whether I said anything or not. Probably not the smartest thing to do, but you can do it. 
And so what James is just trying to get across is we need to have fellowship with one another. And so he points out these very basic things that are very key for Jewish people. Now, three of those things are very key for Jewish people. Not staying away from things, idols were abhorrent to the Jews. So anything that you had that had to do with an idol, an idol, the Jews were going to stay away from you. So it was don't get around with them. And blood was very sacred. So things that were sacred, uh, things that were strangled and things that had blood in it, they were going to stay away from. Sexual immorality was just probably dealing with a problem of the day going, this is running rampant and they just need to stay away from this. Probably a good rule for our day as well. Amen? Amen. So James is saying we just need to stay away from people who are doing these things. Not as saying hey, as a Gentile, this is all you need to do to follow Jesus. You stay away from these four things and poof, everything. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying for us to be able to come together on this, this is what you do. Side note, he has this thing where he says, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, every Sabbath day he's read aloud in the synagogues. What is he talking about? Well, Moses represented the moral law. You may not be familiar with church at all, but you may have seen the movie, okay? Moses played by Charlton Heston, goes up on a mountain, right? And he talks with God, and he's got these stone tablets, and he comes down with these stone tablets. What are those called? Ten Commandments, right? Okay, what he's saying in this passage, James is going, look, anybody who hangs around the synagogue understands that every week in the synagogue, we're talking about the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the things that are good and they're right for everybody, those are the things that are key. So he, James almost says, we understand that those things are already set in place. So he's not just saying that's all you got to do to follow Jesus is stay away from these. He's going, you follow the Ten Commandments, but if we're going to have fellowship together, then we've got to find common ground. So let's talk about what that looks like. We had already established these things. How do people come to Christ? How am I saved? Verse In chapter 15, it's already established. People are saved by grace alone. How am I saved? Grace alone. That means you didn't do anything to deserve God's love. I didn't do anything to deserve God's love. I couldn't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to keep it. It's by the grace of God alone that he's poured out his love on us, and he's allowed us the opportunity to give our lives to him and to follow him and to be saved from our sins and, and, and to be able to have eternal life. Life that begins with fullness of life on this earth and continues in all eternity. It's grace alone. It has nothing to do with being a Jew, a Gentile, a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic, a non-denominate, anything else. It's grace alone of God that does that. And so then the question doesn't become how am I saved. The question that they're wrestling with then is now how do I live? How do I live? If I've, if I've now given my life to Christ, how am I supposed to live this thing out? Now let me just tell you this. This is where we're going to talk about the basic truths that are true for everyone. Perhaps you're in this place and you're going, you know, I've only given my life to Christ just a little bit ago. And, you know, I'm laughing because what you're saying is true. You people are weird. And I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to understanding some things, but I don't understand everything. And I don't understand why you would do this stuff or where it would come from. So what am I supposed to do? I go back to what I said at the very first of the sermon. The question for most people, where do I start? Okay, I want to, give my, I want to follow Christ. I want to live this out. I understand that I'm saved, but man, I look at all these people and they're telling me all these different ways of what it means to be a Christian. What do I actually do? There's probably more than this, but I'm going to stick with four 
this morning that you might want to write down. And these are basic truths that I believe every believer in Christ needs to live out. There's some simple things to do whether you've been following Christ for a day or whether you've been following Christ for 70 years. And this really comes from this idea, you might want to write this, you might want to write Matthew chapter 6 down and read it. But Matthew 6.33 says this. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. It's in context, everything that's happening in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 6 is saying people are worried about how they're going to live, what they're going to wear, how they're going to eat, what's going on. So a lot of times when we come to follow Christ, we go, well, if I follow Christ, how is this all going to work out? Well, if I do things God's way, what's this going to do? And Matthew gives us this promise to say, seek first God's kingdom, and God will take care of all these other things. Now, here's the kicker. Probably not the way that you think they're going to be taken care of. So sometimes we miss that God's taking care of things because we're trying to limit how he can do that. But God will take care of these things. But there's some stuff that we all need to do. So if you've just started believing in Christ or if you've been walking with him for a while, you can use these things. One, if you are just following Christ, stuff for you to do now. Two, if you've been following Christ for a while, you need to ask yourself, am I consistent in doing these things and am I still growing in my faith? The first one is this. It's pretty simple. It's read your Bible daily. Read your Bible daily. God has given us his word. He's given us these stories like we're reading right now. He's given us these, this counsel and this direction, and it's all right here. And I know, let me just go ahead and have the conversation for you. I know some people go, well, man, that's, I, it's, it's hard. I don't understand it. Read it anyway. I, it, it just, uh, there's, there's no way you're going to, okay, wow, that's hard. So I'm not going to read it, and you're magically going to understand it? No, you just continue to go to it. It's, it reminds me of this sometimes, and you can laugh at this and, and go, man, he's got a messed up head. But it reminds me of this sometimes. When you're at Christmas and your child gets a present and you have to put it together, right? And you open up the box and you tear it out and you look at the instructions. And the instructions were written by a Chinese person, and that same Chinese person translated into English. But they don't speak English. They just wrote from Chinese translated into English. And you're going, this makes no sense. But yet, because I love my child, I dig into that. And I start holding things up. And I start looking at them. And I am determined that this thing is going to get built and it's going to be right and it's going to be safe. And so even though it's difficult, I find a way to get it done. And that's the truth about God's word. If you're just starting out with it, I'm not even going to say it's not hard. It's hard. And you look at some things, and we talked about like little things last week. Like you get to Acts chapter 15 and it's 10 years from, removed from what they're talking about just a couple of chapters over. And people go, how did you know that? And my answer is I didn't. For a long time until somebody taught it to me or I read it in another book or until I read the book of Acts for about the 700th time. And you start figuring some of these things. So it, it doesn't happen overnight, but you have to stay in it daily. You read your Bible daily. That's true for every believer anywhere all the time, no matter where you are. You have to get into God's word daily. Second thing that I would tell you is this. You have to pray. you got to pray. Prayer is communication with you and God. And, and I'll just go to the same old thing. People go, I don't know how to pray. <laughs> Do you know how you learn how to pray? You pray. 
I, I, there's, I, you can't substitute. You cannot read a book on prayer and all of a sudden learn how to pray. It's one of those things that you just have to learn how to pray. If you want to learn how to pray, have a child, have it grow till about age 16 and get its driver's license. You will learn how to pray. Okay? You'll probably learn how to pray long before the age of 16, but you'll really learn how a new level of prayer. Okay, the truth is, Prayer happens as we do it, and prayer happens as things come along that we go, you know what, this is something that I understand need to, I, need, I really need to pray about. Truth is we need to pray about everything. It's an opportunity for you to have communication with God, for you to just sit before the Lord and go, God, this is what's on my heart. Man, I'm telling you what, there's nothing better than when you're a new believer and just sitting with God and going, okay, God, I don't understand anything, and here I am praying, and here's what's on my heart and my mind, and and I don't really maybe even know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm talking to you, and I pray that you would you know, bless this person and watch over this and help me navigate this thing in life. And when you start just taking those first two things that I said, you're reading your Bible, and look, it would be legalistic of me to say that there's a certain amount of time each day you need to read your Bible. I'm just telling you you need to read it. Can I tell you what I do? Some days it's maybe three minutes, and I've got other stuff that I need to do. Some days it just captures me, and I can't put it down. It's just different, but it's there every day. And I'll just tell you, this side, this is free, and it's going to make the sermon go long. So this week, I'm reading Galatians chapter 1 at the same time that we're studying and going through Acts 15. And you just go, oh, my goodness. Because you start seeing what Paul's writing in perspective years later about what he's been through right here. And a lot of the things that he's saying, you just start going, this is incredible, the way that it just starts coming off the page like that. And can I tell you, I've read Galatians, I can't tell you how many times in, in 40 years of being a believer, but this week it was like it was brand new. So that, it just kind of happens that way, but you just have to be in it. And I'll even tell you that before that I was going, all right, I've got to read my Bible. I, it was really honestly, I'll just have that honest moment. It was not a, I, I don't magically get up some days and go, I can't wait for this. I do a lot of times, but some days it's like, okay, i got to do this. And God just met me at that moment because I knew it was so important. It didn't matter what I felt like or what was going on that I had to be in his word. And then you just have that moment of prayer. And, and sometimes that moment of prayer and what you've been reading in the Bible, God brings those things together. And, wow, you begin to grow and you begin to see things. So those are true for everybody. Read your Bible, pray. Here's another thing that's true for every believer. Get in a group of believers that will live life with you. Okay, I love the fact that you come to worship. I'm very thankful you come to worship. But this is a one-way conversation. It turns into a two-way conversation every once in a while. But not the two-way conversation like I'm talking about where you can sit in a group of believers and you can go, and I read this this week and I don't know that I really understand that all. Or you sit with a group of believers and you say, you know what, this is what I'm facing in life and I don't necessarily know how God's supposed to help me navigate through that. It's why we do Bible study. It's why we have Sunday schools. It's why we offer more things than just this because everybody who's following Christ needs to be in a group of believers who will do life alongside them. You have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm very excited that you do. But that personal relationship is supposed to be lived out in community. And you may not have anything going on in your life right now, but you can certainly speak into someone else's life. Or maybe the tables are flipped where you just feel like, man, I don't, I don't know how to live this out, and you need to be around people who can help you live this out. And I love our staff. I think we have one of the best staffs ever. But there's, you know, four of us on pastoral staff. And, and there's 300 of you that show up every week. 
We can't get to everyone. So you need to have life on life. You need to be in that group. You need to be living life out. And then the last one is this that I'll say for today. And this is true for everyone. You need to be sharing your story of faith. You need to be telling other people what God has done in your life. One of those Christianese words that we say, you need to spread the gospel, okay? We say that at the church. You need to be sharing what God's doing in your life. Now, again, let me go back to the same old thing. Some of you go, well, I don't know how to do that, or I don't know what I'm supposed to say, and I'll just say this real quickly. Read John chapter 9. John chapter 9, there's a man who was born blind. He came into contact with Jesus for maybe 10 minutes, and Jesus healed him of his blindness. And then his testimony, his story to everybody when they were debating about how in the world did he get healed and what's going on in his life, it, all he said about it was this, I don't know anything about Jesus other than I was blind and now, I'm see, and now I can see and he did it. That was his story. And that story impacted the entire community. So you need to be sharing your story. You know, you know how you're going to grow in your faith? is by sharing your story, and then people look at you and go, well, why do you think that way, or why do you feel that way? And then it all goes back to what you're reading and what you're praying, and in that group of believers, and it all starts fitting together. Now, that's true for everybody. So if you're sitting here and you're going, I I'm just new to the faith. And let me just tell you another thing that just has to do with church culture. The first time, go back to this thing that we said at the start, the first time you go sit in a Bible study class, all those people are weird, Okay. Because you don't have a relationship with them. And they're talking about a book that you don't know. And you're scared to death that they're going to ask you a question about something. You're going to have to go, I don't know. Can I give every, everybody say, I don't know with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I don't know. Best thing you can ever say anytime ever. You can even say it to your children. You have my permission as parents to tell your children you don't know everything. Okay? So it's okay. You just need to be in there. And work in that environment. Now, true, if you don't feel comfortable in one, we can find another one. But you've got to be committed to be in there. If you'll do these four things, I promise you, you'll be growing in your faith. And you're going, well, what, what's the importance about growing in our faith? Well, there is an expectation that you see all throughout Scripture that we're supposed to not just come to Christ because of the grace that he's poured out on us, but that we're actually supposed to do something with us and we're supposed to grow in our faith. There's a principle here, I'll just say it this way. If I live for the minimum, then I'll never experience life at the fullest. If you think about that, it makes sense, right? If I just want to know the minimum of how I'm supposed to follow Jesus and what I'm supposed to do just to skid by, well, then I'm never going to experience life at the fullest. Because I want to know, well, what does this look like to grow? How do I do this? And that's why I'm saying it's so important. That you can't look at an individual. You can't look at your pastor and say, well, that's how I'm supposed to grow in my faith. No, not necessarily. You can't look at your Sunday school teacher and go, that's how I'm, not necessarily. There are some things that we can learn. But life is its fullest is when you give your all to God and you begin to grow for him. I want to just read for you three scriptures. And I, I picked only three. I could have done more. But it just shows you this principle of what I'm talking about, about when you give your life to Christ, there should be an expectation that there's more than just salvation, that there's more than just the grace of God poured out, but that there's a life that needs to be lived. Now, some of these, some of these are going to be a little harsh, but it's important that we see what's going on. Ephesians chapter 4, it's talking about how the church works and how we all come together and how we meet together and how we're supposed to be doing things. And it starts in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. And it's talking about this is what Christ did for the church. 
He, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastors, and some are teachers. But all these different ones, he's equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. means that the saints, every one of us, are supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son. And look at this next step. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What's the, what's the mark for a mature Christian? It's Christ. It's not your best friend. It's not your Sunday school teacher. It's not your pastor. The mark of maturity for a believer is that all of us should be growing to be more like Christ. Growing into the maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. When we're trying to grow to be like Christ, verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now that was Paul's words. Let's look at Peter's words. Another person that spoke in Acts chapter 15, Peter. He says it this way in his gospel. He says, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, stop for a minute, what are we waiting for? Peter's talking about we're waiting as believers for the second coming of Christ. And he says, as you wait for Christ to come again and redeem everything, he says, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some matters that are hard to understand. Would you just underline that in your Bible? There are some matters that are hard to understand. And in the nicest way, Peter's saying, and Paul makes them even more difficult at times. I'm just going to say that's what he's saying at this point in time. But there are just some things that you're looking at maybe as a new believer going, I don't understand why they do this or what. And that's why I'm telling you. There's some things about faith that are just hard. And Peter goes on, he says, the untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Well, pastor, how do I grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? You read your Bible. You pray, you get around believers who will do life with you, and you share your story. That's, that's true for everybody. That's going to help you grow. And then Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Thank you, author. But he just basically calls it out like it is. People are saying, I want to grow in my faith. I want to be more like God. And Hebrews says, well, we'd love to teach you this, but the fact is that you're just being lazy in your faith. That's what he says. He says in verse 12, also, although by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food's for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. See, there is something that's happening. When you come to faith in Christ, it is an awesome thing that happens. We exchange our sinfulness for his righteousness, and it is the greatest exchange that you could ever have. But then the question becomes, then how do I live now? What do I do? And the truth is, we do everything that we can then to start living for Christ, to grow in our faith, to mature, and to move forward. And like I said, this is true whether you've been walking with Christ for a day or whether you've been walking with Christ for 70 years because all of us need to look and say, what are we doing? And if we've been walking with Christ for a while, we need to be careful not to make it difficult on those who are just starting out in their faith. We're the ones that are supposed to lay down our things and reach out to them to help pull them along in the faith. I want to read one more scripture to you that talks about that concept. It comes from Romans 14. Romans 14, Paul's talking about this very thing, about what it means when you have people who are coming together and they don't necessarily agree on how life is supposed to be lived out and they're all trying to live for Christ. There's never an argument. But how do we live this out for Christ? What do we do? This is what Paul says in, in Romans 14. Accept anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. That means don't make the things that aren't a main thing a main thing. Don't get lost in those things. And he gives an illustration. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak only eats vegetables. This is how you know Paul was a Texan. He called out the vegetarians as weak. I'm just kidding. I'm just making sure you're still listening here. Okay? But what Paul's saying is that there's this debate on how we live this out. Some people think that we have the freedom to eat anything. Some people say to follow Christ well, we should only eat vegetables. Some people say it's okay to do this. Some people say it's not okay to do this. Some people say we should be that. Paul says don't get caught up in that. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not judge the one who does because God's accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. So the question for us today is, what life do I choose? What life do I choose? I, I'm saved by grace alone, but then now how do I live this out? We need to live in such a way that we're seeking fellowship with people who may even be living their faith out a little differently. Though there's limits to that, James put that out there. There's certain things that if they're living a certain way, yeah, we need to stay away from them. But honestly, there's a way that we should all be living and seeking Christ. And, and it may not make a whole lot of sense now, but if you stay in these things, then you will be growing and you will be choosing to live a life God's way. And it may take some time for that to feel less than weird if you're just starting out. But that's okay. That's okay. Because there will be people who will walk this life with you if you'll choose it. And I guarantee if you choose to live in God's way, it will be the best decision you've ever made in your life.